This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Welcome to another edition of LifeWords Q&A. David Ray and Andrew Morris hanging out with you for the next 20 minutes or so. And it's a, a weekly time uh, thereabouts to sort of discuss issues that revolve around life and faith and living life according to the Bible, perhaps, David. Welcome to another edition. Thanks, Andrew. Well, uh, David, again, uh, listeners and podcast subscribers um, send you questions. So we've got a whole lot of questions to get through. David, the first one is, do you think it right that my minister tells us how to vote about things like marriage equality and other controversial matters? Well, I think a church leader has got every right to inform church members of issues and also what he or she, the church leader, thinks about them. I think that's part of leadership. You can't just sort of stay neutral and shut up about it. But I'd just offer a couple of cautions. Um, One is the consideration of those sorts of issues shouldn't distort the regular preaching and teaching. Uh, It can be rather tiresome if, if if a preacher or teacher or church leader is constantly bringing in that controversial topic into everything they're doing in the church. Uh, Every prayer, every sermon features this particular thing. I think that can become rather tiresome and can distort what I might call the regular teaching, preaching ministry of the church. And in regards to praying, I think we've got to beware of the prayers um, which some leaders might pray, which tend to convey the view that the one doing the praying has the right view and everyone else is rather mistaken. Um, For example, on that same-sex marriage issue, as I could pray, oh, more or less on the lines of, oh, God, please help us all to vote against same-sex marriage, or, oh, God, enlighten the hearts of those who impose same-sex marriage so that they'll see the light. In other words, prayers which are a sort of advocating a particular cause and to which some people might not be able to say amen to. Um, it's always tricky when you're praying at election time or at times of controversy that your prayers um, need to be general enough, I think, so that people who might have different views can say amen to them rather than prayers being a means, subtle means of advocating a particular position. I've always enjoyed the family uh, prayer time when you, you may have done something wrong and Dad's prayed for you and sort of correcting you in, in, in the oh, prayer. Yes. yes, yes. So many prayers are sermons in disguise, lectures in disguise. The, the, the other caution is that it's, it's dangerous, I think, to simply tell people uh, what to think or how to vote. For example, the question that says, my minister tells us how to vote. I, I, I'd be wary about that because... Um, I think my job as a church leader is to raise issues and suggest approaches to, to uh, or by all means, give my opinion on it and what I believe the Scriptures might be saying. Um, but then again, there may be others in the church who disagree with me. Uh, and I must not assume that they're ungodly or disobedient or um, unbiblical. I personally would always want to point people to varying Christian viewpoints rather than telling them from the front what to do or think. I'd be quite prepared to say, look, here's different views on it. Here happens to be my view, and I, I embrace that view. I, I've got to sincerely embrace what views I, I, I hold. Um, but but at the same time, to do it in such a way that I'm not saying, well, if you hold another view, somehow or other, uh, God's very displeased with you, and you're going to be struck by lightning um, at the next opportunity. Uh, so, so I think it is right for a Christian leader to present a certain viewpoint. I, I think that's perfectly right, but not to do so from the point of view of saying, well, this is the only way you can think about this, because some Christians do think differently on things, even like same-sex marriage. Well, and, 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 and also, uh, don't 
tell people how to vote or, or what to think because that's not my job as a Christian leader. My job as a Christian leader is to say, here, here, here is how I see the Scriptures. Here is how I see the mind of God. But the implication there is, well, I'm inviting you under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to wrestle with these issues yourself rather than just be like robots saying, oh, well, you know, I've, I've been told what to do, therefore I must do it. That's not good teaching. Okay, well, David, as a Christian leader... Um and we are in the midst of uh, the same-sex uh, debate, and there's the plebiscite, the um, voluntary postal vote that's taking place at the moment. As somebody who is, yeah, a, a recognised voice, how would you recommend, and we, we know that there are Christians on both sides of the campaign, yes and no, uh, as a Christian leader, how would you uh, encourage us to work through the issue to come to a decision. So I'm not telling you how, I'm not asking you how to tell us how to how to vote, but the approach that we should take. I mean, yes, we can obviously look at the Bible, but how what would you be recommending your congregation how to approach it? I I'd be saying to people, and I did. I have said to people who've asked me privately about these things um, because I, I I have looked at different what different people who are much wiser than me have said about these things from both points of view and from in a sense ambiguous points of view as well because there's some ambiguity there's some some in in, in between options here too um what i'd be saying to people is here is this article here is that article here's what this person thinks here's what that person thinks now you you wrestle with that rather than saying rather than feeding them look for example I'll vote no, and here's here's all the reasons why you should. Or I'll vote yes, here's all the reasons why you should. No, 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 no. Uh, here are some responsibly written Christian articles uh, that are written by people whose, whose opinions I would respect. You read them, and you prayerfully consider them. Now, some people might come back and say, oh, I think that a few of those particular articles are rubbish. I'm going to vote one particular way. That's fine. As long as you've done it, as long as I haven't simply said, this is how you must go. Oh, David Ray, you, you, you do some radio stuff, therefore you must be right. Well, that's a lot of rubbish. Um, I can be just wrong as well as I can be right. So the important thing is that I would want to say, and I have said to people privately, here is a range of views. You weigh them up because, you see, the point is, Andrew, if I talk someone into voting a particular way, someone else can talk them out of it. Yep. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A, and on this very subject, if you want to explore um, the different... Angles the different sides of the same-sex marriage debate from a Christian perspective, then I'd highly recommend that you um, hop onto the same-sex marriage uh, landing page at hope1032.com.au. There is a number of different voices from both campaigns, uh, Christian and non-Christian, giving their perspective of why they are voting yes and why they're voting no. It's hope1032.com.au. You can also subscribe to the LifeWords podcast and get it through iTunes and David's daily email, which is called the LifeWords Daily Devotional. You can sign up at the website. David, our second question is, my children are very involved in Sunday sport, which they love. But we miss out on church, which we also love. Is there a good way out of this dilemma? No. <laughs> in, in, in short, Andrew, no. I was so relieved that when my daughters were growing up, uh, they were involved in sport, but not Sunday sport, which was rather helpful. Um, look, on the one hand, it's very sad if kids can't join in sport. How would you feel as a kid? You're growing up and all your mates are in the football team or the, the netball team or whatever, and uh, your parents say, sorry, you can't be in it. We've got to go to church. Just think, just think of the association there. Church 
when I grew up, church was the thing that stopped me from doing the things I loved doing. Um, church has spoilt my opportunities to advance in my sport or to form my friendships and so on. And, of course, um, we've got to think of the contact that Christian parents can make with others at sport. I mean, fair enough, as I mentioned a moment, it's good to be at church. But at the same time, if you're on the sidelines of a sporting thing, you're mixing with a whole lot of people who perhaps aren't churchgoers, and that gives you an opportunity to, to, to um, be an ambassador for Christ there. But then again, having said all that, um, being part of a church community, I believe, is essential to growth. And our life in Christ is diminished if we miss out. Um I'd want to say on, the, on, on that hand that discipleship involves some sacrifice somewhere along the line. Now, missing some weeks, and I know some people in my church have to miss certain weeks because of certain periodic uh, sporting engagements, that might not be a problem. But missing out for, a, for six months during the footy season or the cricket season or whatever, um, that can lead to a weakening of fellowship ties. So there's no, there's no easy way out because I can see both sides to it. I, I'm very sympathetic with um, Christian parents who say, well, I'm sorry, um, I can't be at church because my kids are playing sport. But then again, I'm very sympathetic to Christians who say, no, darn it, we're making a sacrifice, we're going to be at church because we think church is important for our whole family. And I guess there are alternatives as well. I mean, some of them uh, at a cost. I mean, you could make that decision, well, sport's important. We'll move to another church that offers maybe a Saturday night service and other other times of the week, perhaps. I mean, there's also, I mean, kids have got youth groups on Saturdays or Friday nights, uh, and there may be different time services, family services on Sundays as well. So, I mean, there are possibly well, alternatives. Exactly right, Andrew. I think you've, you've, you've made a good point there that there, it may be, while I don't think there's an easy way out of the dilemma, I think the, the only way out is some sort of compromise. And it could be, as you say, look, um, um, the kids are encouraged to join other church groups, like you say, and maybe some churches, like they do have the Saturday afternoon or Saturday night church services or their Sunday night church services and so on and so on. Um, and, 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 and sometimes, I know, if parents can take turns. Um, father takes the kid one week and mother takes the kid another week or something. I think that's the only way out. I mean, also, some parents will obviously be wanting to explore the possibility of non-Sunday sports that could be played. If the child mm. is happy to play a Saturday sport, well, that's better. Uh, I really think it's, it's a tough issue, but I, don't, I would never ever, ever say to a Christian parent how, how disobedient and rebellious you are for taking your child to sport on a Sunday rather than coming to church. I think that's, that's, that's too harsh. But I do think there can be a compromise whereby the children are not growing up with an association of church equals spoiling my life um, and you're not growing up with a situation of well church is some sort of dispensable disposable sort of thing that we can just get rid of for, for a season or so on I think the only way forward is through some sort of compromise and I believe that I, I believe it's possible in that with the wisdom of God to find some compromise you're listening to Life Words Q&A with David Ray. Great to have your company. Andrew Morris with you. And we've got one more question for today's episode. David, how often should we celebrate the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion? We hardly have it at all, the listener says, at our church. But friends of mine are in a church that has it every Sunday. Yeah, that's right. I, I do know in my Anglican tradition that there's some churches where it's on every Sunday. And uh, there are some churches where it's virtually never on at all, uh, funnily enough. Um, so there, there's no, I don't think there's a set rule across the churches. For example, our friends in the Salvation Army don't have um, those yep. sacraments. Yep. Um, but some churches celebrate it every Sunday and also other weekdays as well. 
Um, I think Jesus seems to assume that we'll have some sort of thanksgiving and remembrance service focusing on his death for us. When he when he had the Last Supper, for example, he seemed to imply that uh, um, some sort of repetition of that sort of thing would be uh, something that would feature in church life. But I don't think it's so much a clear command. It's just more an assumption. Jesus says, whenever you meet together and you do this and you do this, this you, you should do it in this way. So there's an assumption that we're going to do it in that way. But um, so, so, so I, I think, as is true with most churches, we do do it. Um, some see it as so important that they do it very regularly. I know Christians who they don't figure that they've been to church unless they've done communion. Uh, it's very important for them. They see it as a necessary visual reminder of his death for us. I think generally some people do find ritual and ceremonial and visual stuff very, very important, and therefore they will put perhaps more emphasis on that visual sort of um, memorial style. But others tend to be a bit more focused on preaching and teaching and find this is their best way to focus on what Jesus did. So therefore some of those churches will not, or some of those individuals will not have communion as often. They'll feel, well, I don't care if I've missed out on communion. I've heard the preaching of the word. Whereas there's other Christians who say, well, yes, preaching of the word's fine, but I really need that visual, tangible reminder of the love of God. Um, and of course, very big churches have to do things differently. I mean, if you're in a group of about 5,000 people in the church, having communion is a little bit of a struggle. And so they tend to encourage such celebration in smaller home groups. Because remember, Jesus doesn't say communion has to be done by special individuals in special buildings. Certain church traditions, such as my own, will normally um, limit uh, the administration of communion to certain individuals. Mm. But that's not actually a biblical command. It's just some way some churches organise things. Um, it, 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 Jesus doesn't say it has to be done by special individuals or in a special building. Uh, it can be done by people in a home church. It can be done individually in a hospital ward. Um, thank goodness not sharing the same cup yes. for me. Well, some some people, of course, find great symbolism in sharing the common cup, the one cup that's passed along the rail. Yeah, as David, been, whereas, there, whereas, been there, done that. Whereas <laughs> others, uh, and we do that in our own church tradition, but we also have the option of providing individual cups, which interestingly okay. have, have got increasing uptake, particularly in winter. Um, but, but uh, you know, so, so look, all, all we're saying there is um, some people do it very informally in a home group set, setting, in a home setting where we're having a study group, we're having a bit of sharing, and then we just have this breaking of the bread and the drinking of wine or juice, however you do it. Um, other people, it's a case of sitting in a church and going up to a communion rail. Others, the elements are passed around and so on and so on. But look, the important thing is to recognise the underlying meaning that Jesus loved us enough to die for us and to clear the way for us to be reconciled to God. We must never, ever lose sight of the ultimate meaning by focusing too much on the different ways or the frequencies at which we do it. I personally, in our church, for example, we might have communion every every week in one of our services and once a month in one of our other services and only very occasionally in another service. And I think we've all got to find our own level there. Uh, it's an important It's an important ceremony, I think, but it's the meaning behind it rather than the ceremony itself that's very important. David, thanks again for hanging out with us over the last uh, 15 minutes. Thank you. You can uh, join us next time when we have more of your questions on LifeWords Q&A. In the meantime, you can go back. We've got uh, around 60 or so uh, podcasts that you can listen to covering all matter of questions. 
David's long uh, thought long and hard about them. And, um, yeah, you can find that at hope1032.com.au. Also, you can subscribe to the LifeWords Q&A podcast in the iTunes store. Take, till next time, see you. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.